Jews, but no, not not no problem for this rabbi. Nope, he was he was Mr. Interfaith Council, uh, and uh, he was a little bit miffed though when uh, the FBI came out and said that this had nothing to do with Jews. It was simply about the release of uh, Miss uh, Al Qaeda, or as they call her, Lady Al Qaeda, uh, Siddiqui. Um, she's <laughs> This is just the saddest thing. Uh, mm-hmm. Here's a woman that gets every benefit in the world. Uh, she uh, goes to American universities, uh, uh, ultimately gets a Ph.D. from a Jewish college. So progressive Jews are among the most lost people on the, the planet. They're the, you know, the extremes of, uh, of Jewish life from ultra-liberal progressives where evidence and reason no longer matters and completely lost their mind. And then you have the Haredim, uh, who are still stuck back there with uh, Baal Shem Tov in the 18th century and can't seem to uh, get to their weasel hats uh, straight. Uh, And the liberals at the uh, Jewish University awarded her a Ph.D., and uh, she did a really fine job of, of showing her gratitude for what they had done uh, because she went off and, uh, and joined the Islamic State and, uh, and the fundamentalist Muslims. She couldn't wait to go over to uh, Afghanistan and uh, kick some uh, imperialist uh, crusader behind. Uh, she, at one point when uh, she had acquired um, things from the Internet that would be used to kill masses of people and suicide attacks. Uh, the U.S. military said, you know, we are monitoring what you're ordering here. And, and just because, you know, you have an account with Amazon does not mean that we're going to let you uh, blow us to smithereens. And she also said, no, 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 no problem. Grabbed one of the uh, the U.S. military weapons that uh, uh, that the serviceman was carrying and tried to kill him. And so she she was given a right fine sentence of some 88 years, and she's become the cause celeb of the Islamic world. Uh, Typical Muslim woman, she was uh, uh, sold by her parents as a a toy for some, uh, some man who, in typical Muslim fashion, beat the living crap out of her. Uh, and then her response to that was not to walk away from Islam, which she had every right to do in the West, but instead to uh, to marry into uh, Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Uh, but CARE, the uh, Council of American Islamic Relations, is touting her release, saying that she is uh, one of the great injustices in the history of the world. Uh, and she was the reason, allegedly, that the uh, Muslim that uh, traded the hostage situation uh, had uh, done so. He wanted this bastion of Islamic virtue uh, released. The last thing I want to talk about in the news is something that we have uh, discussed now for well over two years since the uh, onslaught of of COVID. And Mm -hmm. I even wrote it into one of the chapters of uh, Coming Home, I think uh, one of the (laughs) final chapters of Volume 2 of Coming Home. And I talked about the uh, in the initial months of lockdowns and deprivation of livelihoods along with liberty, how 
those that were not depriving people of livelihood and liberty, uh, states, were actually faring better than those who, in fact, much better than those that were depriving people of, of life and liberty. And that ultimately, I said, our response to COVID-19 is going to be far worse than the disease. I also said that my analysis here of this disease in terms of its mortality is that uh, its mortality rate is, is going to be much closer to the flu than anyone's willing to acknowledge. And then when the statistics finally came out that 96% of those that are listed as a COVID death uh, had two or three morbidities that would have killed them within a very short period of time and that were to the point of being deadly at the time that they were listed as a COVID death or that had heart disease, diabetes, uh, um, high blood mm-hmm. pressure, whatever it might have been, the, the two to three on average morbidities uh, in addition to, uh, to COVID. And, but the death is attributed to COVID to the point that obviously the COVID deaths were being overstated by between eight and nine times. Uh, been proven now. Um, wow. Both uh, the CDC and, uh, and the uh, British and the Freedom of Information Act uh, have uh, released the data, and they show that the average age of uh, someone dying of allegedly COVID is 81 years old, which is the average age that a man um, dies prior to and without COVID, and that uh, the deaths are uh, overstated by eight or nine times, uh, and that uh, we... uh, We've done everything wrong. The other thing that's quite interesting is now there's a more of a complete analysis of the five or six trillion dollars we have squandered in COVID incentives. Uh, turns out that most of that money uh, enriched fraudulent schemes and never did anything that had uh, any value. And in the process, of course, we destroyed our currency. Now, I'm not saying that uh, COVID isn't real. It is real. Absolutely. Uh, And it is exceedingly contagious, particularly in Omicron uh, variety. And it is a much worse disease than uh, the flu. It it was designed to be much worse, and it is much worse. I I got Omicron. uh, There was five days of absolute agony. Uh, And Omicron is far less uh, destructive uh, to one's uh, life. Uh, and body health than were Delta and the other variants. Um, But nonetheless, we find ourselves in a position where most everyone is going to get Omicron, and it will either have enduring um, immunity or we're going to be dealing with this forever. And even if it has more enduring uh, immunity than the vaccines uh, have had, uh, and Anybody that's not vaccinated, you are crazy in my book, uh, because with Delta, we had a, a pandemic of the uh, of the anti-vaxxers. You know, with the vaccines, you're less likely to have serious uh, symptoms, even though it does not protect you against getting Omicron. But Omicron is either going to have some staying power with immunity. We're dealing with this thing for a long time. But the fact of the matter is, uh, 
even the most liberal governors and prime ministers, at least outside of places like New Zealand and Australia, have finally come to realize mm-hmm. that everything they did was counterproductive. Uh, we made a, things worse in the way that we reacted. We destroyed supply lines. Uh, inflation is raging again. Just go to the market and try to buy the things that you're accustomed to buying. And uh, your bill will be more than 20% higher than it uh, would have been. More than then here. Yeah. yeah, six or seven months ago. So that's where we find ourselves. Uh, and every bit of this, we predicted. I would like to welcome again, uh, we have a bunch of new listeners from uh, New York uh, who are part of uh, the social media uh, outreach. Uh, we uh, we welcome you. Uh, we understand that one of our, uh, our new listeners from uh, New York, uh, a Talmud-toting uh, a Jewish uh, fellow, um, which uh, means that uh, he is among the rare um, people in the uh, Haredim and Orthodox Judaism uh, who approached us and said that uh, these books are uh, nothing but commentary. And uh, I did not respond to him. The uh, uh, team that manages social media uh, uh, did that. But uh, they nonetheless reported to me that, that, that general statement, and I know nothing more than that, but I, I do have some comments, and I know you do as as mm-hmm. well, uh, Kirk. Um, yes, sir. It, it is pretty rich that in a religion where the rank and file in that religion are giving kosher phones, where they're specifically prevented from exploring anything on the Internet, they can't even call a rape hotline to protest their rabbi uh, raping them or their husband or brothers raping them. Uh, they're, they're secluded in an intellectual ghetto. And that there are still the most devout of the Herodim that troll the Internet for the specific reason to try to discredit threats to their religion. Because they... They know that ultimately they can't control everybody 100% of the time. And anything that, uh, that exposes the religion for the fraud that it is, is very threatening to them. And so they will try to demean it. Uh, and in this case, it is sort of a hoot that uh, this individual would call uh, the 25 volumes of yada yada 100% commentary. They, they are about 25% commentary, so it was only a four times exaggeration. But when you compare that to the Talmud, which is all commentary and not even accurate commentary, uh, mostly arguments against the, the Torah, yeah, with that, word. Is, that, yeah. that, is, that is pretty, uh, pretty rich. And I know, Kirk, uh, just moments before the show, you, uh, uh, you took some notes. And before we get back to Zachary, I want to give you a chance sure. to share some of, uh, of your thoughts. You've been invested in this for a long time. And, and I don't think mm-hmm. there's anybody out there, maybe with the exception of, of uh, Jackie and maybe JK and, uh, and Mike, who are the fact checkers, and Molly uh, as well, and the editors of these uh, series who have read every book, every page of every book about 50 times, uh, and, and now check every single word to validate whether or not it is properly presented right to the uh, 
accuracy of the transliterations. I don't think there's anybody else that has done as much checking to validate whether or not these translations are uh, accurate or not, or whether or not the insights derived from them are accurate. Because I got to tell you right now, with the team that we have doing fact checking and editing, if uh, if I goof at all, oh my goodness, call you on it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> and it's wonderful because the last thing you want to do is be wrong about God. That's a that's a terrible position to be in. And you know we have been wrong. Uh, you know the fact of the matter is that uh, I wouldn't have devoted the last three years of my life to rewriting every book, starting with the translations from scratch, if it wasn't for the fact that um, we've gotten a lot right, but some of the things we've gotten wrong, and some of the things we've gotten wrong are, are big things. It's like uh, I, I was raised uh, a Christian, and so I was so indoctrinated in this replacement theology nonsense where I, I knew that the promises God made to Israel were never transferred to a Gentile church. But the uh, this Christian mindset that every time a promise is made to Doe David, that it somehow applies to this mythical caricature known as Jesus Christ, uh, that um, that was tougher to relinquish because you, you read mm-hmm. every prophecy about father and son, about Messiah, about uh, uh, Savior, about uh, a return, and you'd see it as, well, this must be talking about Yosha. And no, no. Uh, but it really takes a lot uh, to finally come to the realization uh, that there is a son of God. His name is Dode. There is a Messiah. His name is Dode. There is a king of kings. His name is Dode. A branch. His name is Dode. A shepherd. A chosen one. A firstborn. It's all Dode. And it is Dode that is returning with Yahweh. And that is so startling to most people, including Jews. In fact, Christianity as a religion, Kirk, would not exist today. Mm -hmm. The most menacing dogma towards Jews in human history would not have prevailed if the Jewish leaders at the time of Yosha had A, recognized and used his name, B, recognized that he was fulfilling Pesach Passover and that he was the Passover lamb, and C, that the Messiah is well known. It is should be. Dode, who's yeah. the Messiah. The Son of God is well known. It's Dode. And if they had said, the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms describe the life and times and the return of the Messiah and of the Son of God and the King of Kings, and it is Dode, not this fellow. This fellow is the Lamb. He is not the shepherd. And his name is Yosheh. It means that Yahweh is saving. And so... Yahweh is working through him to fulfill Pesach Passover. And, oh, by the way, the Passover lamb never comes back to life. That's counterproductive and utter nonsense. But you want a resurrection. That's going to happen. It's going to happen with Dode, David. If they had said any of those things, Christianity would have died in the, uh, in the wretched letters of Paul 
uh, and never would have been resurrected. And so they are to blame for it. Um, so uh, it is no small thing to recognize who the Messiah really is, who the Son of God is, who's the King of Kings, who's returning with Yahweh, when Yahweh is returning, which is Yom Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah on our pagan Roman calendars. That's sunset 6.22 p.m., October 2nd, 2033. It's all laid out for us. And sometimes we have missed elements of it, and so Anytime somebody can say, you know, you got this wrong, or as the case might be, we learn more. You write another book and you learn more from that book. You go back and say, you know, I think I better edit this and, and make it right. And mm-hmm. so we're not claiming that, uh, that we're infallible. Um, we're claiming that we've made the best, most complete attempt to get it right of anybody in the past, well, thousands of years. All right, Kirk, what, what did you uh, come up with? I know this was something that um, was uh, meaningful to you with all the time you have spent fact-checking. Well, yeah, I mean, it was two things. Because uh, y'all were kind enough to share the emails with me. I didn't feel like jumping into someone else's email and responding, uh, but uh, I did start taking notes on how I was feeling about it all. And because we have a lot of new people and we haven't done this for a long, long time, uh, let's explain some of the things that um, you do in translating, even though all that's in the book. All they have to do is pick it up and read it. But um, I, uh, I took, um, I kind of spent a couple of days writing down um, the defense of what we do, what you do in particular, and what I do, and people like me do, and what tools we use. And, and if you're going to take, if you're going to complain about what we do, uh, it's an open book test. Here's all mm-hmm. the stuff that we use. This is how we use it. Um, yep. You may not agree with uh, what we're saying, but you prove it. Nobody ever seems to write anything back and say, let me prove to you that you're wrong. They always no. say, oh, you're wrong. And, and I find that rather No, I'm not, uh, you know, in terms of, it's interesting, in terms of the translations and yada, yada, mm-hmm. I've been doing this now for 20 years, uh, published 25 books, they average about mm-hmm. uh, 600 pages apiece, with that about 15,000 pages. And have now done probably 15 to 20,000 hours of radio where we've discussed it. And thus far, not a single person has said, you've mistranslated this. Not one. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of correspondence. Not one. There's, there's yeah. People have said, I don't understand how you got to this. Could you explain it to me? And mm-hmm. I'll go back, because uh, usually I'll explain it in the text. If there's, if there's a translation uh, where there are many choices, um, what I'll do is I'll write a paragraph or two about, here are the other choices, and here's why I chose these over the others, and here's the root of the, uh, of the word. Uh, here is it, the word stripped of its diacritical marks as it was originally written and mm-hmm. what it could potentially be. And here is the word's first use as to why I've chosen this definition. Uh, so usually I'm pretty thorough if, if a word isn't exceedingly clear. And there are some that um, uh, a great example would be Zoroa. 
if mm-hmm. you uh, Zoroa turns out to be an exceedingly important term, both to negate the credibility of Judaism, but also uh, to explain uh, Yahweh's style, his purpose, his intent, his means of operation. And the first time that I translated Zoroa, I, uh, I saw it uh, consistently associated with the Passover lamb. And the reason for that is it's presented in the Torah, the Zoroa, is uh, is equated with preparing the Passover lamb. So did my homework, uh, used it in the translation. But after a while, there were times when Zeroah was used that it was not the Passover lamb. It either, in fact, there's one place where it calls Moshe a Zeroah, as he was a a shepherd uh, guiding the people, a mm-hmm. a, a nurturing. A shepherd is a guide, and there's places where Doe, David is called a Zeroah. Now he's a very strong ram, a, a a leader protecting the people. And then there's a place where there's a little Zeroah, which is uh, associated with the Goyim, who is the last witness, presented through Yashaya. And so it necessitated a much more comprehensive evaluation of what Zeroah meant. And, and so we ended up writing chapters on its mm-hmm. use and where it took us. And, you know, one of the places it took us is that Zeroah is used to, descri- to describe why God, and this is Solomon speaking at the dedication of the first temple, telling all Israel that somebody not speaking their language from a place far away who is definitely not a Israelite is a going to pro- produce books for them to read that yeah. they ought to pay attention to and uh, and respond accordingly. And uh, Zeroa was used there, and it took us right there to, to read it and present it. So, you know, we've done a pretty good job. I'm here. I'm interrupting your uh, your presentation. No, 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 no. Translation. This is, this is all but, good. You know, I really tried to be transparent, put all the cards on top of the table and say, here are the options with this word. You're free to take a different approach, so long as you're consistent. Um, but here's how I came to this rendering. And I don't think there's anybody else who's ever done a translation that way. To be completely no. transparent and vulnerable and say, this, here's the transliteration. I'm going to give it to you in the most generic form. You can look it up for yourself. Uh, you can also search it, and then you can think about the the explanations, which is about 25% of these books. About 25% is the translation. About 25% is an explanation, a narrative on the translations, um, and to put a person in a position to validate everything. And about 25% uh, unique insights and 25% um, commentary. And the commentary is on the passage we've just translated and the insights well, I think that's the thing that is, makes these books the most unique. And that mm-hmm. is that the vast preponderance of the insights being shared haven't been written about, talked about, considered well, in over 2,500 years. Uh-huh. And there's hundreds of them, if not thousands. Anyway, so yeah, oh. I, I, I agree with you. I think the translations are transparent. Uh, if you want to disagree... You're welcome to do so, but um, prove it wrong. 
Uh, yeah, so and there's another, to... just one last thing here, is Very that often. somebody might yeah. say, well, sure. well I read Hebrew, so I don't need to do a translation. And my response to that would be, well, most Jews don't. Our target audience is Jews. The language spoken by more Jews and read by more Jews than any other is not Hebrew, not Yiddish, it's English, and by a wide, wide margin. It's the most uh, popular language in the world by a huge percentage, even over Mandarin Chinese. And so well, if you want to communicate you know, with the most Jews and the yeah. most people, you've got to communicate in English. And then I would say also, if reading in Hebrew was working out so well for you, why don't you know God's name? How come you don't know how to celebrate Pesach or Matzah or Bakura or Shabuah or Teruah or Kippurah? Or Sukkah. You don't have a clue how to observe any one of the seven. If reading it in the original language is working out so well for you, how come you're so clueless? How come you can't name any one of the five conditions of the covenant? Yeah, the Mitzvah. Right. Why is Yahweh ranting about how disgusted he is with the Jewish religion not only throughout the time of the prophets, but right up to the last days, if you got it right. How come you don't recognize Yosha as the Passover lamb? You're so smart. How come your Passover Seder plate is Keynesian? It's all vegetables. Why have you relegated the most important day of the year, matzah, to an ingredient? That if you're so smart, why have you got it all wrong? If you're so smart, why did Yahweh need to use a lowly goy to figure it out for you, to awaken you, call you back home? Can't debate that. Sorry, I'm not doing that debate. I push, put my, I fold my thing on and say, "You're right." How do you do that? No. I mean, uh, well, without being too redundant, um, I, um, I'll just mention that uh, the first time I read Yahweh Yah, uh gosh, 13 years ago, 14 years ago. I'll have to, I have to check. It's been a long time. And I picked it up, and I read about 50 pages uh, of it, and I threw it down on the on the chair as I stood up. And I said to myself, damn, you know, um, I know he's right. I know about 50% of the things you mentioned I knew were true. And I said, if he's right about the others and everything, my whole world just turned upside down. So, um, so I just kept reading. And uh, both Terry and I read and read and read and read and read for a couple of years. But in particular, the next year, it, it took about two weeks to dispatch something I've had all my life, Christianity, and throw it away. And, and I didn't. It was yeah. hard to say, stop saying uh, my Lord, oh yes. my Lord, you know, and Lord, Lord, yeah. Lord, and all that kind of stuff. And it was it hard to uh, not say, yeah, and it's hard to say uh, not say Jesus, in um, is uh, in God, you know. I didn't know Yahweh's name either, although I had books on it, and I saw Yahweh. Mispronouncing, uh, phonetically mispronouncing it, but yeah. use, at least using the Yahweh, 
But I didn't know, and not only that, I knew what a, I knew what a, a lexicon was. I didn't know there were so many varieties, and I didn't know that uh, there was a. Um, I didn't know what interlinary was. So um, all that, plus I couldn't turn on a computer if my life depended on it. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I've come a long pretty, way, baby. <laughs> pretty analog guy, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. But you're an pretty artist. Pretty much I can draw a picture. Yeah, I draw a picture. You know, They pay me a little bit now and then, and that's good. So, um, But what I wrote back to this was not, not to per se to write to this guy who was um, um, attacking the uh, the books. Uh, but also but to defend how we do it so that you'll know how to do it and then give it your best shot. And then the second thing was uh, to defend you. I wrote quite, quite a bit in this little uh, paper about um, what I think about you, not to you to get a big head or anything, but also to um, kind of to explain what it is. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll no, feel I'm free to jump to in. It, just give you this uh, uh, sure. uh, introduction. Um, sure. I really don't care what anybody says about me. It's uh, it's irrelevant <laughs> to me. What is relevant to me is Yahweh's credibility and right. the credibility of our witness uh, as we uh, we translate and present what Yahweh's prophets have said regarding his people. So Absolutely. that means a, that means a lot individually. You know, I don't care. Uh, I've affected this whole exchange. I read nothing of it. So. Um, I, but I think it is important for a new listener, particularly somebody who is questioning uh, the various forms of, uh, of Judaism uh, and doesn't really know where this religion kind of materialized and why its claims are as they are uh, and, and why life has been so tough for Jews for the past 2,500 years uh, and why they remain God's chosen people. He's... It's it's Yehudim and Yisrael, but how is it that Christianity has become so menacing, claiming that uh, the the first half of the book? And so it is important that we help those who are just beginning their journey away from religion and politics and have a keen interest in knowing who Yahweh is, uh, that uh, the of slanderous attacks are without merit. Uh, that's important. And so to that extent, I think it's important for you to share what you're going to share. Uh, but it's, one thing that's important to me is that this is not personalized. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, uh, it has all to do with what you read and the uh, validity yeah. of what you read and your ability to validate what you read uh, and how consistent what you read is with what Yahweh wants his people to know. Mm-hmm. Well, with that, I'll, I'll say that I, uh, I was talking to this, I was writing back to this person um, with no intention to really send it to him, but just to put thoughts down. And I, I said to him, if anyone took a serious time to read these books, he or she would, uh, have discovered the greatest collection and the most accurate translations of the Torah in English in the world. Uh, the Hebrew words are listed and amplified, which is amazing. No one does that. I can't find it anywhere else. Uh, you introduce your readers to the a rather large list of how to translate tools. 
that they can use to verify for themselves the accuracy of the translations. Uh, most of which are free online. I found that, which is helpful. Uh, I have a lot of books, but I also have uh, some stuff online that I use continuously. And I personally uh, uh, use a uh, Dead Sea Scrolls Bible, which I find phenomenal. Uh, the whole idea of a Dead Sea Scrolls and how far back it dates and the fact they found it in 1947, the year before Israel was uh, uh, formed a uh, country again. Uh, got about 12 lexicons that I use quite a lot of. Uh, and uh, in linearies that, uh, and other some other related material. Um, I've never now speaking a little bit about uh, your the way your approach and what you've been doing. And I've been real close because I've been invited. Um, you invited me to be on a lot of Shadow Miss shows that went on for a long time, three, uh, four, five a week. No, it was five a week, and three hours you know, some of them. So, uh, so, but uh, I've got to know you pretty well and visited you twice and. Uh, I've never known you to not return a respectful email inquiries. I know you're very busy now, so if, uh, don't flood him with emails. <laughs> He's busy translating, and, and you know, ten hours a day is uh, pretty hard work. Uh, I spent two I spent two days here in the, in the chair, and I'm about to die. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's about uh, ten hours a day in this chair. It is true, and it's been yeah, that for yeah. uh, six and seven I've days a week. Work, I know. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been that way for 20 years. So uh, there has been no lack of effort. We will uh, yeah. say that for sure. And and this yeah. has not been. Uh, this is not like the uh, the rabbis. The rabbis are are overpaid by a uh, four to five Third times party. the the average yeah. uh, cleric. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so everything for them is a money making scheme. And we charge nothing. Um, <laughs> we charge zero. The books are entirely free online. We don't take any ads. We don't do any uh, donations, none. And even the printed books at Amazon are uh, royalty free. It's just the cost of uh, printing and shipping Print. that uh, yeah, you're, you're paying for. And you, know, you look at a 700-page book for, uh, for 14 bucks, and you say, oh, okay, if that was... A, a textbook at that size, that'd be a uh, hundred uh, oh, yeah, dollars. But so uh, we've certainly done our best to devote the time, the energy, the effort to get this right yeah, and sure. to to charge nothing for it. And not only charge nothing for it, we take no donations for it. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that we I would want that. I, I'm I'm quite certain that Yahweh does not want us to charge. To convey his uh, his words, it's uh, I don't think Moshe was paid, for example. No. Well, not comparing ourselves to Moshe here, mind you. No, no. Uh, I I have the utmost respect for that man. He's a tremendous character and intellect, but uh, he wasn't paid. No. Uh, No, he had a gig. He had a gig and a wife and and a whole pasture. He could have stayed. But, uh, well, he couldn't have. Yeah, we we're going to let him. He's very convincing. Yeah. But uh, it was hard work for a man of his age. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, anyway, I was just expressing that uh, you're probably the most dedicated and hardworking person I've, uh, I've known, uh, truly. And if you, uh, if anyone were to put just a little bit of that effort in, uh, I will guarantee you the words are, are um, beyond your imagination. Uh, I know that because that's my story. I'm, I have never looked back. From week two after I put down after I read the first part chapter, 
it's been all about, uh, wow, where's this going and how can I get there? In fact, when I finished Yada Yada, I actually was crying. I was just saying, gosh, it's over. There's no other book. Well, <laughs> a little bit I know. <laughs> well, yeah, little do you know. And I think I read, the same I thing is twice. true. You know, right there. Yeah, the second, it's, I think it's true that, that there's so much material and Yawa is so lovable and approachable. And the characters that he uses to communicate with are so interesting that if you give him a chance, he will win your heart. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you are willing, uh, particularly now with the rewritten Introduction to God, Volumes One and Two, and I'm about a little over halfway through with Volume Three now and the and the rewrite. But if you read Volume One and Volume Two of an Introduction to God, and, and um, I think the Covenant uh, uh, in the family, uh, volume volume three, really of um, of yada yada three, four, five, and six. As you go from being uh, in the family, part of the covenant, to the presentation of the seven Moed Mikre uh, through invitations, harvests, and uh, appointments, you get that much through that material. I, I don't think it's possible for someone to read. Uh, through those volumes and not fall in love with Yahweh. No. You're, gonna, you're going to love Dode. You're going to love Moshe. You're going to love uh, Shamuel and uh, Zachariah. You, you're just, and, and this, Yahweh, you are absolutely uh, going to respect and love and care about and you'll engage in a relationship with. Uh, it just takes the the will the the time the will to invest the time to read to that point and and if you are still have a foot in the Christian camp for our our Gentile uh, listeners out there then read mm-hmm. questioning Paul there is yeah. not one chance in a billion that you could read the four volumes of questioning Paul and remain a Christian but we're not going to leave you high and dry it's not like we're taking something valuable from you and uh, and we're providing nothing in its place. place. Yeah, we're, mm-hmm. we're we're exposing a complete and utter fraud that is robbing you of your soul, and in the process, sharing with you a a way to come to know and uh, approach Yahweh and participate in His covenant, and so. We're taking something that is rotten and has no value and replacing it with the most valuable commodity in the universe, a relationship with you. So it's just mm-hmm. a matter of time. If you're willing to invest the time, yeah, you will you'll know the truth. And it is liberating, it's empowering, it's enriching. Uh, there's nothing that God asks of us that isn't pleasurable and beneficial. Um. With this association I've uh, formed with you and Yahweh's family that I've gotten to know quite a few of and enjoy immensely, um, I was introduced to uh, the ancient Hebrew thought and how the Hebrew language is seen and understood through the five senses. I, I thought how fascinating to be able to explore, uh, number one, the best advantage was, well, let me say the first thing about it that was exciting because I'm an artist and I think symbolically a lot and I think like shapes and I like symbols and all that sort of thing. And uh, it was just like it opened up a whole other world. 
and the fact that all those letters actually mean have a whole lot of meanings and the way they're arranged has a whole lot of meaning and so forth it was like oh wow how cool but the the best part about it is and this is the original language that the original alphabet that um, Yahweh wrote the Torah in, I'm sure is, that's the one that Moshe used. But it also confirms, you find out the more you study those and what they mean and collectively the way they're arranged in that particular word, in that particular subject, in that context of that thing, like in Zachariah. Uh, I thought, wow, that confirms your translations. So it's another layer besides just, uh, so I thought, wow, that's something worth pursuing and, and I've been doing it ever since. And then the fact that uh, I, I, to understand that this concrete language uh, is has to be un, in, understood um, in that context. It's not like a Western philosophical language, so you have to get that kind of out of your brain as, way, as well when you're translating or just to be thinking in terms of it has to be understood. A word is understood by a uh, group of people that they were write, written to that are um, – uh, tied to the earth, they, this, it's their five senses. Yeah, a very uh, said, real presentation, visual. You didn't even have to be literate to be able to understand no. what was written. You can see the picture because the pictures would uh, would lead you to take Yahweh's name. Uh, you see well, yeah, God as Father, exactly. uh, arm reaching down and out with an open hand as fa- as a father would yeah. reach out to mm-hmm. a child, and then you see uh, two people standing up, looking up, reaching up to Him. Uh, on either side of the wa, which was the tent peg, which would secure and enlarge a home. Uh, the two people are obviously uh, Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the home is the covenant that is being secured and enlarged by reaching up to and grasping Yahweh's outstretched hand. That's his name. Yeah, and every every a, word is is like that. I mean, bereth uh, uh, for covenant is based on beeth, which starts with the uh, beth, the which means home and family. Mm-hmm. This this is not complicated. Uh, El God, uh, it's a ram's head, which is a a male lamb living with the sheep, living as part of the, the flock, uh, protecting and guiding the sheep. And with L, it's the, the ram, the leading and protective ram, is also acting as a shepherd yeah. because that's the shepherd's mm-hmm. staff, which was right. used to, uh, to walk with and guide and protect the sheep. And then you take Ab Fathers, the first word in, Hebrew lexicons, it's God's favorite title. It's uh, the, the ram living with the flock, protecting the flock, leading the flock, and home. Be'eth, together. Father of the home. Leader of the home. <laughs> the, uh, the graphic nature of the language is exceedingly uh, revealing. He's my kind of guy. Yeah, and you know one of the things that uh, I've had the pleasure of doing is retranslating the 119th Mizmor. And for uh, our listeners, the 119th Mizmor, something that uh, I translated about 10 to 12 years ago for the first time, and haven't translated it since. Uh, so this is a completely new translation after 10 years. And uh, 
the reason I bring it up is that the 109th Visbor is arranged so that there's eight statements uh, devoted to each letter in the Hebrew alphabet in alphabetical order. So it begins with ALF, and there's eight statements that the first letter of the first word in those statements is a, is a, an LF, and then the BAF, and then the, uh, the bastard child of Hebrew letters, uh, there are eight statements related to the Gimel. Uh, so it goes all the way through, and then each segment helps explain the nature of that letter and how that letter helps us better understand the, uh, the Torah. What I didn't know, though, Kirk, is, is that, mm-hmm. uh, is that as I'm, and I'm now, I think, on the 20th letter. I'm, uh, no, not the 20th letter, 16th letter, I guess. Uh, I've got six to go. The, uh, the pay okay. is the letter that I'm uh, just now starting, which is the open mouth. And so I'm getting to what will be uh, three very controversial letters in, uh, in Hebrew. The, uh, the Tazde is a very controversial, wonderful things and terrible things with uh, with that letter, the Kof, the horizon, uh, can be uh, good or bad. You know, the setting or the rising mm-hmm. of the uh, of the sun, the the end of an era, or the starting of a of a new day, for example, uh, with uh, with that letter. But I just came out of the letters that were uh, witnessed. You know, I, Ain, and uh, and uh, Nun, Sun, uh, as well as Shemek, which is the sign, and mm-hmm. What I didn't realize that when I translated the thing 10 years ago is that the, there are really three themes that run through the 119th Psalm. I had thought yes. that originally that it was these, the four key words, choke, bakudam, uh, mitzvah, and misvat, uh, over and over mm-hmm. again being presented from the perspective of each letter. And that's there to be sure. But there's also a very strong undercurrent of Dode, who's the author of the 119th Psalm, lashing out at those who deprived him of what Yahweh had promised. It's over and over again. God made these promises to me. This is what he wants to see fulfilled through me. This is how he's going to use me when I return, literally when I'm resurrected and I come back to life. Uh, during Yom Kippur. Uh, and so it's very, very prophetic of Dode serving in the role of the Messiah who returns with Yahweh uh, here in our, what is immediate future, while also being a referendum against religion. He is constantly condemning the uh, religion in Israel uh, in the years preceding his return which would be, of course, Judaism. So uh, it's all three of those things put together. It's not just a song to the Torah, to understand the Torah, but also to understand how Judaism in particular has corrupted the Torah's message and misappropriated it, uh, as well as how Christianity has uh, done so, and then how Dode is going to resolve that uh, problem in his return. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more to it than than just a uh, a romp through the letters, if you will. When when do you think we'll be able to take a look at that? Uh, well, 
As I say, I'm, I'm 16 letters through. <laughs> I know you've been uh, sick. Know you've been uh, sick. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and maybe this is one of the things when it's uh, when it's finished with the fact checkers and the editors that uh, we'll get oh, yeah, uh, Dave, Dave, David to post before the book is uh, is done, if he has the uh, the chance to do so. But I understand he has a house full of uh, of coveters too. Uh, he got it permitted uh, no, no. his household not long after it uh, it permeated mine uh, here. So uh, you're you're the last of you and Jackie, I think, are the last of them not to uh, to get it. Uh, anyway, maybe we did more that you wanted to say on the uh, on the defense of uh, of yada yada, or should we? Uh, yeah, well, to, well, well, let, me, let me let me okay. let me okay. Let me share one other thing because we we live okay. in a world. Um, I was going to talk about the grammar, but the grammar is a little bit dry. But regardless, the grammar, you'd be amazed when you get the perfect and the imperfect. That's like opens a door, you know, to yeah. translating too. It's just uh, all those things and the, well, and the verbal. Well, one know, of the so, great things about the I'll, grammar is mm-hmm. that that's the thing that made the biggest difference in the retranslation of the 119th. Uh, almost every initial statement, the 119th begins in a second, in the voice second person, uh, a verb scribed in second person, but usually in the imperative. So uh, the mm-hmm. imperative is a second person expression of volition. Mm-hmm. And then right. it transitions from, yeah, from the imperative in second person. So it's you want, you decide, you choose, uh, your desire, your will is to X, Y, Z. And it's mm-hmm. always uh, the only person speaking is Dode. And the only person being spoken to is Yahweh. So most of these statements are, it is your will. It is your choice. Yes. You have decided. This is what you want to do. You want to teach me. You want to use me. You, you want to uh, um, uh, revive me. Mm-hmm. And, Understood. And then, then it's Dode making an expression in the cohortative. And the cohortative is mm-hmm. a first-person expression of volition, where Dode speaks in first person under the cohortative and says, uh, you want to do that. this yeah. because I want to do that. Now, you want to prepare me so I can serve as the Savior. You want to teach me uh, uh, so that I can teach others, because that's what I want to do. So the whole thing is this celebration of free will and volition that doesn't appear in any translation. It's like these these three profound volitional mo- uh, moods, the imperative, the um, cohortative, and the jusive, third person to be jusive, it's like they don't even exist. Uh, pay no attention to them in, in translations, and yet it's everything. You know, somebody says, I want to you know, do God's will. Um, well, he tells you what his will is. What do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, a statement... And second person is when the person being spoken of is God, and it's written in the imperative. That's God's will. Mm-hmm. And He doesn't want anything for Dode that He doesn't want for us. Yeah, that's quite. A so thing. It's, that's yeah, a it's a, it is a yeah. it is a treasure. You know, the, um, I think one of the greatest treasures of Hebrew grammar is that it is akin to light. Uh, on a photon of light, time is. Mm-hmm. All time exists simultaneously, which means if you were a being comprised of energy or light, a spiritual being, 
you could see the past, the present, and the future as uh, at any time or all at the same time. And so it explains how Yahweh described prophetic events, committed them to writing hundreds if not thousands of years before things occurred. He wasn't predicting the future. He was reporting, reporting the future. He was telling yeah, you, yeah. this is what I have witnessed in your future. This is where your choices take you. And reporting it back in our past. And he could do that because as a spiritual being akin to light, he can maneuver in time. Hebrew verbs are written that way. There is no past, present, or future tense in the original uh, Paleo-Hebrew. And so all verbs are true throughout all time. They're liberated in time like, uh, like light. And when you gain an appreciation of that, it opens up the floodgates of understanding because that is what Yah was offering us. It, uh, all of a sudden, now you understand why is the universe so big if we can't even get past the moon? Much less explore this solar system, mm-hmm. much less go to the nearest star, much less uh, any part of our galaxy, much less go to another galaxy. What's the purpose of all of that? Well, when we're transitioned from uh, three-dimensional physical beings stuck in time and, uh, and held on this planet, to being energy-based, beings liberated in seven dimensions, we can go from here to there in the blink of an eye. Distance is no longer even a factor when uh, time is something you can maneuver in. Mm -hmm. Um, And it explains how how a being becomes, goes from mortal to immortal because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, energy uh, always exists. It uh, does not disappear. (laughs) You know, to that point, it always occurs to me that how how can you be critical of Yahweh not being? I mean, of uh, of Moshe not being uh, being told how this is happening by Yahweh, and know that there's a God. When how in the heck would this guy with his with his credentials, which are uh, shepherd at 80 years old, shows up? Besides all the miracles that you see and stuff, forget those for a second and just think about when he writes down uh, the story of Nora and the Torah and he writes down and, and we discover later that, that those dimensions for that ship keep it from turning mm-hmm. over and that they use today in these mega mm-hmm. um, uh, land uh, aircraft carriers. Mm-hmm. Or, he, or he talks about something in the past where the archaeologists have picked up that stuff and, and able to mm-hmm. dig through and say, wow, that, that really happened. Yeah, a Impact reader showing that that the story mm-hmm. of that Moshe yes. said that a deep upwelling of uh, of seawater is going to precipitate the uh, the flood, and then we find the Burkle Impact crater uh, off uh, of the uh, the uh, Indian uh, between the Indian mm-hmm. coast and uh, and right. uh, the, the yeah, mouth the of the Tigris of Euphrates uh, River, and yeah. we we find that it uh, it uh, hit. Uh, 5,000 years ago coincided with the timing of the flood and that we mm-hmm. find a 12 to 20 foot uh, sediment uh, evidence of, of sediment that is 12 to 20 feet deep all the way up through Mesopotamia <coughs> and at the same time we find that the Black Sea rose 500 yeah. feet and transitioned from fresh <laughs> to salt water to at salt exactly water. the same yeah. time and that a flood of, of 
biblical proportions, uh, occurred at that time in that region in the way that it was predicted. All you have to do is search the, uh, the actual Hebrew and then open your eyes. And, you know, there's a lot of things that are, are pretty monumental. You speak of, uh, of light and verbs and time. Uh, when you uh, um, study the, uh, the cosmic radiation uh, background from uh, the Big Bang, you realize that, uh, that uh, its uh, wavelength has been stretched to 10 to the 12th power, which means that, that we know that time flows different, at a different rate relative to the observer and that it slows in the presence of, of great energy or great mass uh, or great velocity. And so there has never been more energy or velocity or mass uh, then at the Big Bang, which is a term that Yahweh himself coined. Uh, coined, yes. And uh, uh, we know that time, from the, pers- from the perspective of somebody at creation, which would have been God, was slowed by 10 to the 12th power. So what, what the creator would have witnessed is, uh, is 10 to the 12th uh, less in terms of the duration of time, the passing of time, than we would experience looking back from our perspective here on puny old Earth. Uh, that's Einstein's theory of, uh, of relativity. Uh, and so if you take the 14 billion years since the, uh, the Big Bang, divided by 10 to the 12th power, you get six 24-hour days. Exactly what God says. It's not that you have to wonder, is, was the universe created in six days? Or is it 14 billion years old? The, the answer is both. If you were at creation, it took six 24-hour days. Uh, if you're looking back from our planet, which, by the way, didn't exist for uh, for about nine billion of those years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then uh, you know it's uh, 14 billion years. Takes a little longer. Yes, yeah, it takes a little longer. <laughs> So it actually takes the exact same amount of time. It just seems different. Everything is relative. Somebody yeah. smart said. Yeah. yeah, somebody somebody really smart said that. Listen, let me let me um, talk about okay. my friend Yada for a minute because we're in a dummy down world, and and um, when you when you're when you when someone um, attacks or disparages this work and that you put so so much into. Uh, and you couldn't do this without some, without critical thinking. Something that people just don't do anymore. We, we, uh, I can give, I can give a lot of examples of stuff, but I won't. But uh, so I said in here, I said, um, my friend Yad is a critical thinker. That means he uses seven criteria, and I put in parentheses, who, who'd have thought of seven, huh? Uh, to mean that he uses seven, he uses those seven criteria to approach to approach this somewhat daunting task. He uses analysis, interpretation, inference, explanation, self-regulation, open-mindedness, something that's very hard to find these days, and problem solving. And then I address the point that um, there's a process to this, and I said the first is to pinpoint the issue. So the first thing you had to do and the first thing we all had to do is in our head is to um, all the translations are filled with falsehoods, lies, errors, omissions, 
uh, and they, they're untenable. So historically, it's easy to prove that they were written to allow the powerful to control the masses, and, uh, and now, of course, they exist to confuse both uh, confuse babble uh, to justify church and state, and people buy it um, because they don't think about it. They don't know that they don't even know to go look to the issue where the issue really is. But uh, you did, and that's what launched this thing because you say, "Well, wait a minute," in your conversations with uh, the religious leaders that you knew. And then second, I said, uh, you collect information. So one's got to examine the oldest, most reputable sources and use the best, uh, the best tools that enable one to examine and scrutinize the evidence. In fact, that's actually a line in the, what Yahweh is doing to his uh, children in verse 13:9 that we will get to. Uh, the, um, the, one, the one should, one should take the great care in deciding what is relevant. Now, the reason I, I agree that that should be in here for this work is because you've had to choose. We're on a short time period, and you've had to choose what is most important. And, and when you started out, you didn't say, okay, we're going to start. And remember, people used to ask you all the time. They say, why don't you start at Genesis and work your way through it? Well, easy for you, pal. But uh, yeah, because yeah. I, I want to know what does he want? Uh, what does he want from me? What can I do to be close to him? Uh, what's the criteria, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to make those discretionary choices at some point and say, okay, this is the most vital message to get across to begin with, and then you work out from there in uh, whatever time uh, uh, is, is available. Yeah, and there, and, there, are, uh, certain, there are certain themes, mm-hmm. there are certain parts of the story that mm-hmm. you have to know to gain an appreciation of Yahweh. You have yes. to know how he and why he created uh, the universe and conceived life. So you've got to cover the creation account. You, it is absolutely essential you understand what occurred in Eden and why the Gan Eden is God's idea of the, perf- the, the perfect conclusion perfect to a relationship yeah. and what, mm-hmm. what environment that he created there, anti-religious, anti-political, that environment was just one-on-one in a relationship, but also what went wrong in the garden is important to know. And then what caused, what, what were the issues that caused uh, that to go wrong and how can it be made right? And then this appreciation for the fact that the timeline that Yahweh laid out, everything is seven, 7,000 years from the uh, uh, it's all six plus one, so it's 6,000 years from the time that Adam and Chawa were expelled from the garden. We're going to return to it, and then we're going to spend that last uh, thousand years, the celebration of Sukkah, in uh, the garden-like conditions uh, camping out with Yahweh. So you, you need mm-hmm. to understand the garden. You really do need to understand the flood, because the, it's, first it has to be demystified. So that you understand this is a real story. It happened in this place. It occurred for this reason. This is why Noah was chosen. And what transpired as, uh, as God was giving him instructions. Uh, mm-hmm. And then from there, uh, it's important to understand uh, the, uh, the stories of, of Babel and confusion and what God has against Babylon, uh, intermixing that leads to people being confounded and confused. That's another essential element of the story. 
then the most important part of the story is the covenant. And so that's one that you, like we've written three entire volumes just on the covenant. So the covenant is really important. Uh, what are the things that Yahweh asked of Abraham? And mm-hmm. what did he offer Abraham? Because the most essential thing for us to know, once we come to know who Yahweh is, and we decide that we like him and we respect him, is what is he offering and what does he expect in return? And you learn the five conditions and the five benefits of the covenant. That's essential. Now, you don't have to know every aspect of what happened with Joseph and, uh, and Mitzrayim, but you darn well better pick up the story with Moshe again, because Moshe, he is either the, the most important person in God's story or the second most. Now, the only person mm-hmm. that would be in his league is, uh, is Dode. They are the two mighty Zeroa. Uh, but it's really important to pick up the story of, of what was it that caused Moshe, who had it licked. I mean, he was in the Pharaoh's household, uh, and yet he went out as Pharaoh's taskmasters were beating up uh, Hebrews and risked his life to save them. That kind of courage is so rare. That character is so rare. It's important to know that. But then it's also important to know why he left Egypt. He didn't leave Egypt because he was afraid that the Egyptians were going to find out that he did. He left Egypt because the people he had fought to save, that he risked his life to save, turned on him. Threw him under the bus. Yeah, threw him under the bus. The Hebrews attacked him. And he said, no, this, this isn't so good. I've got to get out of here. I tried to, I, I risked everything to protect them, and now they're, uh, they're mocking me and demeaning me. Uh, tells you a lot about uh, the nature of, the, of, of Hebrew mindset. God loves these people, but I want to tell you, uh, they're an acquired taste. Uh, so that part of the story is essential. It's essential to know how Yahweh introduced himself to Moshe. That part of the story, you've got to tell you, and you need to understand it in great detail. And how he introduced his name to Moshe, and why he chose Moshe, who was the only person on the planet that could do the job he wanted done, and even why he chose to work through somebody. Why God didn't go and bust his people out of Mitzrayim, the crucibles of religious and political oppression. Why he didn't go bust them out by himself. Why did he choose to go in there with a stuttering, broken-down, 80-year-old shepherd on the lamb? Mm-hmm. Why that guy? Why any guy? Yeah. If you don't well, he's going to work with somebody. You are not going to yeah. understand the story. So that part yeah. essential. And the, the next part that's essential is what precipitated the first Pesach? And what was the purpose of Pesach? Life. That's the purpose. It opens up the doorway of life through the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And then what does matzah represent? As they were leaving this horrible place of religious and political, Mm -hmm. conspiratorial and militaristic persecution. So, it's the removal of those things from our soul is what matzah represents. 
this fungus of yeast being taken from. That's an, an essential part of the story. And that once you become immortal, based upon Pisa, and perfected on matzah, you're ready to be adopted on Pokotam into Yahweh's family. It means firstborn children. That's essential. And it's essential to recognize that Shabuah was celebrated with the revelation of the Torah on uh, Mount Chorob, and what even Mount Chorob represents. Uh, these things, this part of the story is essential. And then it's essential to know what did Yahweh tell us about his Torah? How do we know when, what Yahweh inspired, what he did not inspire? What did Moshe convey to us? That's essential. If you don't know that, you are not going to know enough to develop a relationship with Yahweh. Now, from that point, you, so long as you have a, a, a little bit of an understanding of who Yosha was and the role that Yosha played as they entered the Promised Land, you can move forward. Because you can't, listen, there's not enough time for any mm-hmm. one person or team of people to write about everything that Yahweh revealed. There's just too much material. Uh, so you, you, you do have to pick what is, what is essential to know. And what I jumped to is the single most important life, the most interesting man who ever lived. Uh, the story of the Son of God, the story of the Messiah, the story of God's chosen, God's shepherd, God's king. This fellow's name is Dode. It means beloved. And, and so... You pick up that story with Yahweh um, I, consoling Shamuel. Samuel, he listens to God. Uh, where Shamuel was distraught because he said, the people have rejected me and, and your instructions through me, and they, they want a king like you know, all these other com- uh, countries. And, you know, they want Saul. Yeah, they want to be goys. And, and Yahweh then delineates, yeah. here are the 12 disastrous things that are going to result from them choosing uh, a, a government like the Goy. This is what's going to befall them, and everything is true. And, and then Yahweh says, they're not rejecting you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. And then from there, we have Yahweh explaining to, uh, to Samuel, I want you to, uh, to go anoint uh, find this uh, this person that's going to be my choice. And he says, my, my criterion for evaluating people is entirely different than man's. And we come to understand why God picked this eight-year-old boy named Dode, who was already estranged from his father down in Bethlehem, tending uh, sheep on his own, uh, and then anointed him, the Messiah, in their first meeting. I placed his spirit upon him, told us that his criterion, again, for evaluating uh, people was different than, uh, than ours. And within a year, he's, uh, he's verbally accosting the uncircumcised and uncouth Philistine, Goliath, and brings him down with a single stone. He's eight years old. <laughs> Phenomenal. Wow. And this guy goes... And he writes the majority of the Mizmor Psalms and uh, I think all of the Mashal Proverbs. And God says more about him than he does everybody else. 
he is mentioned far more than even Moshe. The only name that appears more often than Dodes is Yahweh's. Mm-hmm. And then to, if you want to tell the story, you need to know about Dode. He is the embodiment of, of what God loves most. Um, tells you what he's looking for in terms of people. Uh, and then from there, it's essential to go through the prophets so that we not only understand how Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shavuot were fulfilled in year 4000 Yah, and mm-hmm. then how each of these Moed Mikre through Kara play out in our lives, which is an essential element of, of God's story, uh, uh, as essential as the covenant. That's why there's three volumes on them, too. Uh, but then we need to know what God says is going to occur. And so we have uh, written an enormous amount about what uh, God said was going to occur and how that was going to, uh, how, how we should be prepared for it, because it is mm-hmm. a very different future it. than, the, than yeah. the religious are claiming, and we're living it. And you know, I began today's program talking about uh, what we predicted about the rat, rat singer, Benedict, and it turned mm-hmm. out to be exactly true. And then what uh, I said about COVID within a month of us even knowing about the virus turned out to be true. Why did it turn out to be true? I'm not a prophet. But having been guided by Yahweh's prophets, it's very easy to understand exactly where we are and where we're going. Perspective, your understanding, your comprehension are taken to an entirely different level. Well, that's your your critical thinking again. There was uh, two other points, and then I will uh, uh, stop interrupting. But uh, one has to understand one's abilities and shortcomings uh, to do and and in order to do and do one's best. Um, Now we rely on Yahweh and trust in Yahweh. But it's nice to know what your shortcomings are, and you're, you understand what you're really good at, and you understand what you're not good at, and, and uh, as most of us do. But that's that's um, you're a little self-deprecating sometimes. I think you're top-notch, man. But um, but that's okay. It keeps you humble, and, and but at least you don't run around telling everybody I know it all. You're not a jerk, you know, like these people, like these people that you run across all the time. You, uh, you, you don't, um, you know, you don't have all the answers, and you're willing. And the fact that you went and changed so many things, when introduced with a new fact that changes uh, a whole host of things, I mean, that's remarkable. Most people would have uh, folded up the book and left left down, but uh, I mean, I, I commend you for that. The, you know, the only one other time, thing or, that I, at one uh-huh, time I uh-huh. had thought that. I didn't want to go back and rewrite everything because I'd done six, oh, wow. seven Cute. edit passes previously. Uh, and the edit passes are usually not a lot of fun. But translating the next new statement and then uh, going where those words leads, now that's an adventure. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I really wanted to, uh, to write volume three of Coming Home uh, as we were making our way through the uh, Mismore Psalms. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to... Uh, write volume six of observations and continue uh, to address what was being revealed uh, through uh, Yashaya. But what I found is that it wasn't a sacrifice at all to 
set down the new, set aside the new for a while and go back to the old. Because within the old, there were so many profound insights that I'd missed. Um, mm-hmm. That it, it was like going off on a, a new adventure and, and the affirmations that you find on, wow, how much we have learned, how much we've grown, how much more we're able to do and see and, and communicate. It's, uh, it's actually turned out to be a marvelous experience. It wasn't a sacrifice at all, but, but this uh-huh. uh, great gift. Yeah. Well, the one thing I would conclude with on this, on this is that uh, uh, your conclusions and commentary uh, found in the volumes are based on reason and evidence. You mean you really you really provide um, like all the stuff you were just doing on the um, on the uh, Merkel crater and all that sort of thing? That, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that stuff you can Google these days. You can say, "My God, that's really what it is." You can you can find the spots where these things are located, like Mount Moria, uh, Mount Horeb. Uh, you mm-hmm. can um, uh, and, and but you have to have you have to reason it out, which people just don't seem to have the skill to do anymore. But uh, that's a shame, but uh, so if you're going to look at these these volumes and make a critique, you better come with both guns loaded because you just you know these are the criteria that you've gone by. These are the criteria that uh, we've all tried to to do, and um, and even though this is this is a very minor thing, but I will agree with you so much in what you just said. This is minor on my point on my on my um, uh, education is even playing with the little letters. I now, I almost can tell you, like even in the verse that we were about to go to, the 13.9, um, those, those, when you break those letters down, I now can see them actually defining what's in the, they're actually in the context of what's being said. I didn't notice that before. Yeah. I used to say, okay, this is what this means, this is what this means. But, but I mean, I can even, I'm not always sure that this is Yahweh in this one or Dode on some of the words, um, because of the Aleph can be either. And I would have never thought that. But he is the authority, the king, and so forth, so yeah. But it's um, it's just little things that are just like, uh, will freak me out. <laughs> well, look at Joe's name. Uh, yeah. It's, well, yeah, two, it's, yeah. The increase with two doors leading in. Yes. Wow. Uh, it's right. pretty impressive. Yeah, uh, coming and going. This is yeah. the uh, this is or the guy. Or Yehudim too. I yes. like to think. Yep. So, so we so are right. at uh, Zechariah thirteen nine. One of the insights mm-hmm. on uh, Zechariah thirteen nine is the entire prophecy, the entire book, is on a singular subject. Well, I have said that the single most important day of the year for us, uh, for uh, Israel, for Yehudim, and for Goyim who have chosen to be part of the covenant, the single most important day for us is Chag Matzah. That's the day that, that religious Jews have, uh, have depreciated to a missing ingredient. They don't celebrate Chag Matzah anymore. They misappropriate Pesach and throw a bunch of vegetables on the plate and an inedible bone. Uh, and uh, Matzah is just simply an ingredient that is uh, is missing as opposed to matzah is the centerpiece of the first three moed mikra uh, that that while that is the most important day of the year for us uh, 
uh, the Chag Matzah, which is a collectively Pesach Matzah and Bakurim leading to Shabuah. That is not the most important day for Yahweh. Uh, I'm going to tell you, for Yahweh, Pesach was no fun because mm-hmm. it was his soul that endured the sacrifice of the Pesach lamb and that on Matzah it was his soul that was dispatched to Sheol to purge us of, uh, of our uh, religious and political corruption. Uh, Pesach and Matzah are no fun for Yahweh. The day that's fun for Yahweh is Kippurim. Uh, everything in the universe, since, since it was created, is all pointing towards Kapuram and this transition from Kapuram to Sukkah and camping out with, uh, with God. Uh, Kapuram is the day of reconciliations. It is not a, uh, it's not a fast, and it is not a day of affliction, but a day of great celebration. And it's the single most important day in the history of time for Yahweh. The entirety of the book of Zachariah, which means to remember Yah, Zachar, Yah, is devoted entirely to this day, uh, including when Zachariah talks about the two witnesses. One, of course, is Elia, and the uh, other witness is, uh, is spoken of in, in great detail in that witness's uh, relationship to the branch of the olive, as well as uh, to an understanding of the menorah. And of course, the menorah is not that stupid religious menorah with the nine candles that is uh, <laughs> concocted out of a, uh, of a civil war between uh, Jews, but instead the real menorah of seven uh, lights that explain uh, Yahweh's uh, uh, means to resolve our differences through the Moed Mekre, of which there are seven, I uh, explained the seven dimensions that uh, that exist between us and Shamaim, uh, explaining the 7,000 years from the Big Bang to the end of the millennial Shabbat. Uh, all of that uh, in, uh, in seven. But it begins with that. It goes then through a, a long discussion of what uh, Yosha, the high priest, represents. And this is not Yosha... Uh, the Passover lamb, but Yosha, uh, uh, who was a very corrupt individual, as a, but as a high priest came back with the children of Israel from Babylon uh, to rebuild the, uh, the temple because Yom Kippurim requires uh, some very specific things to happen, and it's the high priest that is responsible for doing them on the Kippurath, which is the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And for that, you, we have to go back and look what the Torah says about uh, Aaron and why Aaron had to deal with the bull for himself and then the, uh, the scapegoat and, the, uh, mm-hmm. and the blood of the goat on the, uh, on the mercy seat uh, to reconcile the relationship between Yahweh and his people. Uh, and then the, the Zechariah presents Dode, fulfilling the role of the, uh, of the high priest upon his return. Dod will wear very many hats. He's the king of kings. He is the returning Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the shepherd. Uh, he is the branch from which all things grow. Uh, and he is going to also be dressed in the role of high priest, which is so interesting because Yahweh said, you're not going to build my home because there is blood on your hands. It is having blood on one's hands that enables the high priest 
to enable uh, the, uh, the fulfillment of Kippurim, which God will fulfill correctly, consistent with uh, his Torah. And so from that point, then we turn to this day, uh, this day, which is uh, Yom Kippurim in year 6,000 Yah. As I said, it uh, uh, commences 6.22 p.m. sunset in, in Jerusalem, uh, October 2nd, 2033, when uh, year 6,000 Yah, Yom Kippurim, is uh, is uh, associated with uh, our more pagan calendar. That is when Dode's going to return with the Yahweh. And this whole book then goes to, goes to that day. Now, those of you who are listening on the phone will continue to uh, hear the program. We're going to go through a couple of, uh, of statements, uh, and then we'll resume at this time next week. So those in, that are listening online uh, and through the, uh, the chat room on their computers, uh, uh, this will appear in the archives, and we'd encourage you to do as about 99% of our listeners do and listen to the archives. Uh, but those, again, on the phone will hear us for the, uh, the next 15 minutes as we uh, talk about these two statements. Uh, here is uh, Zechariah 13.9. Yahweh is speaking. He says, I will come to, and I will be included among uh, this one, third. the one third that he's talking about that Yahweh is going to come to and be included among is the remnant of Israel. Two thirds of Israelites, of Yehudim, of Jews, are going to die between now and uh, 2033. And while that is indeed a travesty that so many of the chosen people will die, uh, Goyim aren't going to fare that well. A much higher percentage of Goyim are going to succumb over this period than Jews. And it is not God that is taking anyone's life at this point, although God will, upon his return, going to rid the world of all traces of religion and politics and of conspiracy. But it is man's um, egregious uh, destroying man. Yeah, yeah destroying mm-hmm. uh, humankind. In the fire... I will purge and refine, perfecting them. Uh, We have talked about the fact that things that are useful that Yahweh uses as metaphor are uh, are all crushed before they're usable. The uh, olive is crushed to make olive oil. The grape is crushed to make wine. Uh, The Mm -hmm. kernel of barley or grain is crushed to make bread. These souls are going to be purged and refined, being perfected, in this uh, fire. And fire is even interesting here too, as is refining, because the last time that uh, the children of Israel were refined was in Mitzrayim, which means the crucibles of oppression. He says, I'm going to refine them as one refines silver and test them uh, as one assesses the authenticity of gold. And they, and by the way, God testing us is a common theme. He tested Abraham at the end of, of them developing the covenant relationship. He says, before you know, we, we uh, uh, consummate this, there's a test. And we uh, deal with that test several times in the Yada Yah series as to specifically what Yahweh is testing. And fortunately for us, it's an open book test. 
we have uh, no excuse. They will individually offer a summons and a welcome, calling out in my personal and proper name, and I myself will answer them. So there will be no Herodim, because they write a lot of names. A lot of rabbis get credit for a lot of arguments. But guess what? Yahweh's name is never mentioned. Ever. So these people who are calling out individually, offering a summons, it's Hugh Karaba. Kara is the basis of the Hebrew title Mikra, or in the plural Mikre, speaking of the invitations to meet with God. They will individually, because we do not come to God as, uh, as a group. We do not come no. uh, by part of a religion or part of a political party. We come to God individually, even when we are, uh, I said we, because uh, I'm Goyim, uh, mm-hmm. but even as a member of uh, Yahudah or Yisrael, you still come to God individually. The path to God is single file. Mm-hmm. They will individually offer a summons and a welcome. And this day, Kara is the Mikra of Kapura. In my personal and proper name, and I myself will answer them. Yahweh is returning. His people are going to call out to him by name. They're going to welcome him into their lives. And I will say, each one is my family. And he or she will individually say, Yahweh is my God. That cannot be done in Israel today can't be done in any religious Jewish community can't be done in any Christian community can't be done in a Muslim community can't be done amongst the progressives none of them are going to greet Yahweh by name none of them recognize that Yahweh's entire intent in creating the universe was to form a covenant family and to enjoy the, the experience of raising children and working with one's family This is the essence of what God created the universe to accomplish. It is where we are headed if you wish to be part of the covenant. And it's God, he said, God himself has said, I will say, each one is my family. Means that we are the sons and daughters of God. Pretty good position to be. You can't be in a better family. No, I think not. Mm. And he or she will individually say, Yahweh is my God. You're going to have to know how to pronounce the name, aren't you, to be able to say that. Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. going to say, uh, the four letters yeah. are my God. Yahweh is my God. And this, by the way, for those who are listening for the first time, this is not difficult. What is the single most repeated word among Jews? Has been now for for thousands of years. How did you greet Shalom. Shalom. Yeah, hello. Shalom. The, the O sound in Shalom, where does it come from? It's the Wa. It's the Hebrew Wa. It's a vowel. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Torah. Torah is a pretty common word, right? Pretty common. Pretty common. All right. The O sound Not in Torah, where does it come common. from? The Hebrew Wa, right? And uh, the O yes. sound at the end of the Torah is from the hay. They're uh, both the hay. words. Yes. 
This is not difficult. And no one questions how to pronounce the, the yod, the Y. It's pronounced exactly as it is in English. Mm-hmm. It's a consonant vowel. Therefore, the ah, we know. The o, oh, we know. The hey, we know. yod, we know. And in fact, yeah. God, when he introduced himself, he said, I am who I am. It was Haya. Haya, I exist. I exist. Haya. Yeah. Yahweh. Not difficult and essential. Everyone is going to say, Yahweh is my God. Everyone is going to call out in Yahweh's personal and proper name. You've got to know it. It is essential. Why do these 25 volumes all have a single name at the top of it? Yada, which means to know, Yahweh. Everyone was written under that title. Yada, to know, Yahweh. It is the single most important thing that a Yisraelite, that a Yehudim, Jew, Yehud, Jew, singular, mm-hmm. or Goyim that wishes to be part of the covenant can know. Yada, Yahweh to know Yahweh, to be familiar with, to recognize, to acknowledge Yahweh. Now, that's a very profound prophecy. And this is all occurring on the Day of Reconciliations in year 6000 Yah, which is October 2nd, 2033, not very far away from now. Behold, a day of return is coming approach Yahweh and then that which is good and valuable will be apportioned and assigned to you in your midst Zechariah 14.1 why is it that in the 13 principles of Judaism we don't find a single principle that says Yahweh is God's name Why don't we find a single principle that says Yahweh wants to establish a covenant family? Why don't we find a single principle that says Yahweh is returning? Why do we have a principle that says an unnamed, unknown Messiah is going to show up when he is known, and he's, by the way, accompanying Yahweh? Why do Jews, religious Jews, respect Mamamides when he got everything wrong? Or why would you start a religion and call the father of your religion Akiba when Akiba had a false messiah and based upon his promotion of the false messiah had Yahuda pummeled, renamed as Philistina, and began the diaspora? And that's your founding father? And he got everything wrong? He should be your great adversary day is coming, a day of the return of Yahweh, to approach Yahweh, and then that which is good and valuable will be apportioned and assigned. What's the single most valuable thing you could be receive? Well, the single most valuable thing you could receive is the Torah. Not that stinking argumentative book that was written in Babylon, that's the Talmud, No, the real Torah. God's teaching Mm -hmm. means teaching, guidance, direction, instruction. We are going to be so empowered, so enlightened, so enriched, 
we are going to need to know how to maneuver, how to act, what we should and shouldn't do as we express free will in eternity and in six and seven dimensions. Because, well, what if uh, black holes are a bad thing to approach? You think that <laughs> maybe know. God's instructions would say, don't go near one of those things. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. You know, if you want to do something that's really fun and conceive life, you know, here's the DNA code, here's how it works, but you, be careful and do it this way, but not that way. And if you do it, for God's sake, don't do what I have been falsely accused of doing. What did God get falsely accused of doing? Every religion would have uh, man either afraid of God or worshiping God. Yeah. A superior yeah. being that would create an inferior being to be afraid of him or to worship him is sadistic. True. And so God would say, love him. I, I didn't do that, although I've been accused of it. You ought not do that. That is not going to turn out well for you. That would be a sign of you really don't belong here. But if you're going to treasure life as I have, you're going to enjoy the conception of life as I have. You're going to share life as uh, I have. You know, here's some instructions as to how to do it. That's why in Yermiah, in the 31st chapter, as Yahweh says, I'm going to renew and reaffirm my covenant. He says, I'm going to do it with Yisrael and Yahudah, not some mm-hmm. God-forsaken church, but I'm going to do it with Yisrael and Yahudah. And he says, it's going to be different than the, than the covenant I established with Abraham. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, well, it must be a new covenant. No, it's not a new covenant. There is something different. And he explains what's different. All you have to do is read the next line. What's different is he says, I'm going to place my Torah teaching right inside of you, becoming the part of the fabric of your life so that it can guide you in eternity so you get the most out of it. That's the gift he's giving. I'm going to give you my Torah teaching, my guidance, my instructions, so that you can enjoy yourself over eternity. And what else is he giving? Well, the benefits of the covenant. Eternal life. uh, Perfection. Adoption into his family. Enrichment. Empowerment. Those are the five benefits of the covenant. They are being offered to and I'm, he says, I'm assigning these in your midst. We, we as part of the covenant, whether you're naturally born into it as uh, Yahud or adopted as a Goyim, mm-hmm. it's very clear that Yahweh is offering his covenant children, his family, an inheritance. And he's, he's loaded. I mean, Dad's loaded here. He's, uh, he, the entire universe in fact, he's so loaded that this universe, he's going to say, ah, it was just a, a, a uh, fun thing that, that I, uh, I, I did. But this next time, <laughs> now that we're a family, we're going to do this next one together. Wow. You think the first one was good. <laughs> Wait till you see this next one. Uh, yeah, we're, that's what we're inheriting. Now, Dode gets the lion's share. <laughs> good for him. He also gets the lion's <laughs> share of the responsibility. So, yeah. uh, all fair. 
So the apportionment of that which is good and value could mean uh, any one of uh, or all three things. First, they will be receiving the benefits of the covenant. Second, they will uh, uh, be entering the millennial Shabbat, uh, where we get to camp out with uh, Yahweh for all time. And Yahweh is going to be inscribing his Torah inside of us. We'll share this next uh, um, uh, bit from uh, uh, from Zachariah and then... Uh, uh, well, this is actually a summation of oh, yes, where summation we have been, and uh, yeah, and Zachariah, and then we'll pick up uh, from this point uh, uh, next week. Fourteen two. During that day, okay. there will be a resource opened, eliciting a response for the house of Dote, addressing a united Israel, and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to reconcile having been misdirected and wrong, and to purge detestable corruption. Zechariah 13.1. During that day, which is, the, these are the days approaching Yahweh's return, there will be a resource open eliciting a response. If that's not Yada Yahweh, I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Who, for whom, the house of Dod? a united Israel for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Why? Because we need to reconcile the fact that through religion and politics, you've been wrong, and that corruption needs to be purged. And it shall come to exist on that day, prophetically declares Yahweh of the spiritual implements, I will uproot and banish that which is associated with the names of the vexing, idolatrous images and displeasing objects of religious veneration from the land and earth so that they are no longer recalled, proclaimed, or remembered ever again. There will be no Allah, there will be no Jesus, no Christ, no Shiva, no Lord, no Hashem, no Adonai. Just Yahweh. Moreover, those who claim to have been inspired such that they speak for God among with the infamous and religiously defiling spirit, I will invalidate. I'm going to banish from the land and earth. This is not going to be a pleasant time for the religious. It shall come to pass that if anyone claims to speak as a prophet again, Then his father and his mother will say to that child they conceived and bore, you shall not continue to live. For indeed, you speak lies, having testified falsely, betraying others for no reason, in the name, place, and reputation of Yahweh. This is what Adam should have said to Chawa. As a matter of fact, before Chawa was beguiled by Hasatan, he should have explained why those trees existed in the center of the garden. And he should have shared his relationship with Yahweh more openly. He should have communicated more completely with Chawa so that she could not have been misled or at least treat her better so she didn't want to rebel because it's very clear she envied Yahweh's role. Uh, in Adam's life, and she wanted to be like God. She suffered from the same delusion as did Hasatan. But this is uh, is what 
parent should say to any child because it's, it is one thing to be deceived. It's another to deceive. Those who are deceived, uh, those who are, for example, Herodim that have been played for fools by the rabbis, uh, they are not going to Sheol. Their souls are simply going to dissipate into nothingness upon their mortal demise. Those who have done the deceiving, the rabbis, well, they're off to Sheol. And so what we're being told here is as we enter the millennial celebration of Shabbat during Sukkah, free will will, see, will still exist, sex will still exist, children will be born. And those children will have the opportunity to choose Yah or not Yah. And while I expect it to be a very small percentage, that some will choose not Yah. And their parents will say, you're as good as dead. And we'll rebuke it before it grows and festers and swallows up many people. It shall come to pass that if anyone who claims to, uh, this passage I just read, that uh, to speak as a prophet, their mother and father will say, you will not continue to live. Then his father and mother, who conceived and bore him, will revile and pierce him, along with what he predicts. We have to be willing to speak out against that which is untrue. Uh, those who are uncomfortable that I am uh, exposing and condemning Christianity and Islam and Judaism, that is exactly what God wants us to do. These are people properly guided during the millennial Shabbat. They have the Torah written inside of them, and they're doing exactly what God wants. They're reviling it. They're piercing it. Um, they're rebuking it. On that day, the individual claiming to be able to foretell the future and speak for God will know that it is wrong and will be too ashamed to share his revelation or dream through a prophecy. He will not play religious dress-up. Oh, boy, that's uh, no, that'll leave a lot of people looking for something else to hang colors. in their closet. Yep. Uh, yeah. In order to deceive, which is what religious dress-up does, while denying reality, becoming emaciated and cowardly, while others cringe. So he will say, and by the way, every bit of religious dress-up is just disgusting. From Mm-hmm. The uh, the skull cap uh, to the weasel's hat to the black mourning suit to the stupid black box put on the forehead or oh, on the and arm. And the wrist, it yeah. is just disgusting. God hates it. Hates it with a passion. And so the only people you're fooling is one another. And in the process, irritating God and causing the rest of us to want to mock you. So he will say, I'm not a prophet. I am an individual who serves the realm of mankind. Indeed, from my youth, I have made merchandise of men. Boy, isn't that the the rabbinic claim today? So if someone asks him, what is this plague? Why is there such affliction and loss of life? How is it that so many are impaired and slaughtered? What is the reason behind this devastating pandemic that you have influenced by making 
your connections between one thing and another, manipulating everything under your control. And he will say, regarding these associations and path through life, I was overwhelmed and stricken, possessed and controlled in the house of one who appreciates and desires me. Yes. Hmm. They, uh, they all uh, love one another. Boy, they, they actually venerate dead rabbis as if, uh, as if they wrote the word of God. Celebrate their births, celebrate their deaths. They just don't celebrate anything that Yahweh wants them to celebrate. You have chosen to blind by giving false testimony. We're talking about Jews living in the last days. Who do you think he's talking about if it isn't the religious? You have chosen to blind by giving false testimony, then gloated Mm -hmm. over your decision to be malicious so that there is no hiding from the deceptions you have stirred up chiseling away at Choreb, creating devastation and desolation through your inscriptions in opposition to my shepherd. And against the empowered and strong man who serves as my associate. Prophetically declares Yahweh of the vast array of spiritual implements and heavenly messengers. When you choose to strike the shepherd, negating what the leader of the flock represents, then the sheep will be scattered and they will be attacked. Well, so then yeah, I will return using my hand to bring restoration on behalf of these little ones in the flock who have been trivialized. It shall come to exist in the entirety of the land, prophetically predicts Yahweh. The portion that two-thirds shall be cut off and eliminated, perishing, and one-third will be the remnant spared and preserved of them. I will come to and be included among this one-third. In the fire, I will purge and refine them, perfecting them as one refines, purifies, and perfects silver, and test them observes, examines, and assesses them, testing and verifying their authenticity and genuineness as one assesses the authenticity of gold. They will be, they will individually offer a summons and a welcome, calling out in my personal and proper name, and I myself will answer them. And I will say, each one is my family. Look up. And pay attention. The day of return and inclusion is coming to approach Yahweh. And then that which is good and valuable, enriching and beneficial, will be apportioned and assigned to you in your midst. They just don't write it like that anymore, do they? No, <laughs> I just don't write it like that anymore. That is really, really profound. That is um, that is your sign, Yisrael. Was the comedian that says, you know, wear this? That is your sign. That is your sign, Yisrael. That is your opportunity, Yisrael. Yahweh, the Creator God of the universe, is returning to you, God. calling you family. Embrace it. Embrace, Embrace it. it. Yeah. Welcome him. Greet him. 
This is the most wonderful opportunity in the history of opportunities, the most extraordinary time in the long march of time. Capitalize on it. Invest the time to read these books, these translations of Yahweh's testimony. Yes, the commentary, the insights, the explanations. Come to know what Yahweh has said, what he's offering, what he expects in return. I dare say if you will invest the time to read an introduction to God, the first two volumes, the six volumes of first six volumes of Yada Yahweh, you'll fall in love. This is a love story. It's a story of great liberation, of freedom, of empowerment and enrichment. You'll gain the universe and lose nothing in the process. So please, open your mind, open your heart, take the time, read what God has to say. It'll transform your life. Well, that's the end of our, our time uh, today, Kirk. It's always a, a pleasure. Yes. Uh, I'm, uh, well, thank you. I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry the credit got under your skin. I, I just uh, I kind of laugh at it now. It doesn't. Uh, it was an opportunity to think yeah. it through. That, that's yeah. It's always been. Yeah. It's always been. Yeah, and, and there, is, there is merits to this, and that um, this is Yahweh's witness. This is Yahweh's, as he would say, his nesh, his sign that he is lifting up. Mm -hmm. Uh, He is using us as his witness to his people um, to call them home. And so any attack on the credibility of Yahweh's as we are sharing it with you, um, Mm -hmm. that's serious stuff. And we want to make sure that you... You have what you need to be able to work your your way through this material, and know that they um, they have nothing to offer you, which is why they're so intent on slander. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't offer you God's name. They can't prepare you for this day where you'll welcome Him into your life and proclaim His name. They can't teach you how to celebrate Pesach or Matzah or Korm. Most certainly have no clue as to what happens and the reason for Shabuah or Teruah, Kippurim or Sukkah. They don't know Yahweh's timeline. They're screwed up on Mamamadi's uh, dates, which are sheer insanity. Uh, they've chosen to believe in the wrong men. They venerate the wrong source. Um, and they do it for money. They do it for power. They do it for control. And so it's time that you sidestepped them, left them. And instead of getting embroiled in Israel politics, which is exceedingly sad these days, come to trust you. Go it alone. You know, as you read about the foibles of Netanyahu and his uh, negotiations during uh, his plea deal, uh, it's just heartbreaking. As you realize that Netanyahu's last vote in the Knesset was to block a bill that would have been the best thing that ever happened to the Herodim, 
to actually include them in the life of Yisrael as opposed to their own self-imposed exclusion in their ghetto of ignorance and uselessness. And the fact that without appeasing the ultra-Orthodox, there never would have been a Netanyahu government. And then you have Bennett forming an alliance with the very people that wish to kill every Jew and wipe Israel off the map. This is as dysfunctional as a country could be, a country without a constitution that has chosen to share power with the ultra-Orthodox religious so that the rabbis determine who is a Jew, not their ethnicity. The rabbis determine who can uh, become an Israeli citizen, not one's desire or value or credibility as an individual or character. Who can marry, who can divorce? What you can eat, when you can eat. It is, uh, it's a very sad situation that exists in Israel because of the influence of the rabbis and how they have been appeased to form parliamentary coalitions. But these are the truth. This is a, a way for you to look at your world and to free yourself from their control so that you have perhaps for the first time in your life the opportunity to know God as he really exists. His name is Yahweh, and we welcome you to Yada, Yahweh. May God bless. Good night. Good night. Shalom.